The Today's Homeowner Radio Podcast is brought to you by The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Welcome to Today's Homeowner with Danny Lipford, your partner in home improvement. Everyone has questions about their home. We've got the answers, and we have a few laughs along the way. Informative, entertaining, and sometimes off the wall. Home improvement has never been this much fun. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this hour of Today's Homeowner Radio. Danny Lipford here along with my buddy Joe Truini. Got a lot to cover during this hour of today's homeowner, a lot of information to share with you. Have you ever heard of a bulletproof vest for windows? Well, it it it's it's out there, and there's a reason for it. We'll talk about that as an option to provide protection against storms. Also, we have a few problems with fiber cement siding. You don't hear much about that, and I think we found the reason for the problem in this particular area. Also, we have some decking tips for you. A lot of people are getting ready for that springtime, and, of course, a lot of emails coming up and recorded calls as well. Joe, what about that simple solution you're going to share with us in just a little bit? What can we expect? Danny, do you know that you need to wash your washing machine occasionally? Huh. You actually do, and there's a good reason why, and I'll be sharing a tip on how to do that effectively and when you need to do it. All right. Well, there's a lot of information that we're going to share with you. I want to, first of all, share with you how you can reach out to us. We make it very easy. You can send us an email anytime by going to todayshomeowner.com slash ask. You can go to Facebook. We've got a lot of things happening on the Today's Homeowner Facebook page. It's growing and growing because that's a great portal of information there of all kinds of stuff that we're posting all the time that you can use around your home. But you also can use it as a way to reach out to us through, uh, to, you know, um, Facebook Messenger and so forth. Or you can just pick up the phone and call us on the hotline, 800-946-4420. Got some great calls this week, and we're going to tackle a few of them right now. On our kitchen sink faucet, what can we do to keep that little set screw on that lever tight and from working loose? And you got to tighten it up every uh, week or so. Boy, that can be frustrating. I know exactly what he's talking about yeah. there, Joe. You know, that you have those set screws um, on, like, towel rods and toilet paper holders yeah. and yeah. faucets. And, boy, they make those things so small. I'm, I don't know if my eyesight's getting worse or those things are getting smaller, but, boy, they I think make bo- I think both are happening. Yeah, both, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. and um, but, but, you know, um, th- those set screws are designed, for the most part, to go into a slightly recessed area on your on the stem, whether it's a lock or a faucet, and it'll have just a slight little dimple on there. Now, if that is, is if you're lining, so you got four sides to a shaft like that. If it's lining up on the wrong side of that, then you're less. It's it's more likely for that screw to turn loose without right. it being recessed in that little dimple. So I would think taking that faucet um, handle off and making sure that it is aligned properly there would be the first thing. And then I have before. I'm not sure I should be recommending this, but I have before tightened it up pretty tight and put just a dot of glue on it. Not not aggressive glue, but right. just a dot of glue on there that I know if I ever need to 
push through the glue and overpower it, I could. But a lot of times that offers just enough resistance to keep that um, set screw from loosening up. Exactly. Yeah. You want to check and make sure it's got a bearing surface that whatever that's tightening against is a nice flat bearing surface and not on the point of something or you know, not really tightening up all the way. But yeah, I was thinking the same thing. I mean, you couldn't, it's too small a screw to put like Teflon tape on it or anything like that. But you could put a little dab of even just wood glue, something like that. I wouldn't use like crazy glue or epoxy because no. you might not mm. be able to get the darn thing out. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, just a little dab of wood glue just to, on the threads before you tighten it up. Um, and I don't, I don't know, that's about the only thing you could do. This way it would hold it. Now, I mean, I've never had one loosen up what do you say? Like every week, mm-hmm. that seems he must be using this faucet a lot. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, so I would just tighten it up, put a little dab of glue on it, tighten it up, and I think that would probably solve the problem. All right, let's go back to the hotline for another call. We built a new house. We put the metal roof on it, and we sprayed the foam insulation up underneath the deck of the metal roof. And the problem is, I started getting cracks in my ceilings in the drywall, and it's not trust lift. And I've contacted the trust manufacturer, and basically he said that they've had this problem with spray-on insulation underneath the metal roof where the drywall cracked perpendicular to the trusses all the way across the ceiling. And I just wondered if you guys have ever heard of this and if there's anything I can do to fix it. Wow. Yeah, there's uh, some movement going on there in yeah. some manner. I, I... Uh, first of all, uh, to answer the question, no, I've never heard of this and not sure what you could do to fix it because you have to stop that movement. And if these cracks are running perpendicular um, all the way across the ceiling, that means that's some pretty significant movement. I just wonder if this drywall was installed um, up to standards because uh, uh, even if there is some slight movement, it shouldn't be telegraphing through and transferring through like that. What do you think on this one? Uh, Joe's kind of an odd one. It is an odd one. He's got a lot of stuff going on here because he has metal roof with spray foam. He's got wooden trusses. He said it's an ICF house, which stands for insulated concrete form. So the walls are essentially styrofoam blocks stacked up almost like concrete blocks. Then they pour concrete in between the styrofoam. So you end up with a concrete poured concrete wall with styrofoam insulation on both sides. So it's really a pretty slick system. But as you mentioned, having all these dissimilar materials moving at different rates, that's probably it. And, you know, obviously, no matter what the home's built out of, if the if the drywall wasn't installed correctly on the ceiling, then that would be an issue. I think I would I would check to make sure that the, the trusses are not too far apart and so that he has enough blocking to be screwing into and that it's, the drywall's only half inch on the ceiling and they're two feet apart. That's not good. You have to add additional blocking. It would have to be five-eighth inch drywall if the... Um, if the rafters are that far apart. So I don't know, it does kind of sound like a drywall problem. And I think adding additional wood blocking and screws would be the first step. Yeah, I agree with you um, to, to try to isolate what whatever is allowing that movement to take place. And uh, the good news is then, if I'm understanding correctly, if it's foamed overhead, that means on the ceiling joist part of the truss, there is no insulation. So that gives you great access to have a carpenter get up and put a lot of blocking in there, take his nail gun and shoot it a lot of different ways. Hopefully um, that will uh, help on that situation. I hate to hear that, especially since it's a brand new house. Let's grab another uh, call from the today's homeowner hotline. I understand that they have charcoal burners now that just can be vented up into the attic. To my knowledge, 
And the more moisture you can keep out of the attic, the better off you are. I want to hear your thoughts on this. Well, she's she's right about that. Yeah, That's you're exactly sure. right. I mean, the best thing, I mean, there are some options there. And the, the recirculating type that circulates the air through a charcoal filter and back into your room are almost worthless because, yes, it might help just a little on, um, you know, eliminating or minimizing any odors from cooking and so forth. It's not helping you move that hot, moist air out of the house, which is so important for the quality of your air, the ability for you to keep your heating and cooling comfortable. A lot of reasons. There's no reason why you should have moisture in the house. It needs to go all the way out. If it's not exhausting all the way through to the outside, it needs to, regardless of any charcoal burning system. That's, that's, that's my opinion, Joe. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I just, I just, uh, may, maybe it's better than the recirculating, but it can't be as good that's, as moving that hot, moist air directly to the outside. Exactly. What she's referring to is a charcoal ventilation system where they, they use an activated carbon or charcoal filter, but it's still recirculating the air. So there's a range hood, you're cooking, it, it, the air is going up through this fan and then passing through an activated carbon or charcoal filter, which removes some contaminants. But regardless, all that moisture and odor and whatever is still being recirculated back into the kitchen. So I guess that's better than not having the charcoal filter. But the very best and what we always recommend is, fil- is run that vent right out to the outdoors, either out the back wall or up through the roof, but never, ever, I don't care what kind of filter you have, never, ever dump that air into the attic because that will cause problems in your attic. And by the way, if you have one of these systems, the charcoal filter, they recommend replacing it or cleaning it every 150 hours of cooking. Now, how Mm. you know you've cooked for 150 hours? (laughs) I have no idea. Um, (laughs) So uh, just vent it to the outdoors. You don't have to worry about it. There we go. All right, we're going to take a short break here on today's Homeowner Radio. And when we come back, we're going to talk about protecting your home using Kevlar. Maybe so. Might be the best option. That and a whole lot more coming up here on today's Homeowner Radio. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Today's homeowner is brought to you by Duck Brand Weatherization Products. We are so proud of the wonderful radio stations across the country that carry the Today's Homeowner radio show each and every week, including this one in Carinco, Louisiana, KFXZ 95.5 FM and 1520 AM. Hello to everybody. We get a lot of calls from that area of the country. Keep them coming. You can call us right now, 800-946-4420, or send us an email anytime you wish at todayshomeowner.com slash ask. Right now, we're going to head to Florida and talk to Charles, who's looking to protect his house a little bit. Charles, welcome to the show, and tell us what's going on there. I live in South Florida, as you said, and I'm always concerned about hurricanes. I've seen advertisements for hurricane screens to protect your patio, and I'm concerned uh, what material is the safest and best for this uh, usage. Well, you called the right guy there, Charles, (laughs) because Danny uh, can speak from personal experience on this one. Oh, yeah, very much so. I've lived in hurricane-prone areas my whole life, and I have um, lugged that heavy plywood um, up, 
ladders and nailed it and screwed it and done everything possible. When I built my new house and and the regulations that we have in this part uh, where I live in South Alabama have to adhere to most of the Dade County regulations that came into effect after Hurricane Andrew. So you can't even get your certificate of occupancy until you prove you can sufficiently cover each and every one of your windows. So I chose to go with the, uh, which most people call Kevlar, which is, you know, made used to made, make bulletproof vests. And the reason I did that is because it's just so much lighter and easier that I don't have to have a whole crew that I have these in little bags that I have stored in my attic and it has each window and door labeled on it. So it's just a matter of backing out the screws that I already have in place and putting the new ones in. I'm pretty happy with that. Now I'll have to say I have not installed all of them. So I don't have an idea. I still know it's going to take a lot of time because there's a lot of screws that attach to it. So there's a good bit of work there. Now, then you have the clear Lexan type panels. Those are pretty cool, pretty expensive. But um, again, you have one cut for every single window. So um, I would prefer one or the other of those over plywood because I've seen a lot of situations where people have the plywood cut, they have it numbered and so forth, and they store they store it in a poor way and it ends up rotting or ter- or encouraging the termites to come by. So um, uh, that's where you go back to the other systems, uh, I think, is probably a whole lot better, Charles. Well, I thank you very much. I'm going to finish the job and get it done. There you go, and you'll feel a lot better when those winds start kicking up down there in South Florida. Charles, thanks for being with us on the show and hope you have a great weekend. Thanks. Same to you. Plus the storage is a lot easier to store yeah. the fabric. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sheets of plywood. Oh, yeah. Forget it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it's still um, pretty labor intensive when you go, well, you've been to my house. It's not that sure. big of a house, but there's a lot of windows and doors around yeah. here. And you have to back out all those screws and then put them up yeah. and back up. Yeah. Yeah, and then well, what do you mean you, you never installed all of them? You installed some of them? Well, just for a few segments on the Weather Channel and a few things oh, for I TV, see. we've installed yeah. a few of them. Uh, you know, and, and you have to install one so that the inspector, when he's doing his final inspection, oh, can I see, see it yeah. in place, yeah. not just yeah. to have a stack of plywood and say, yep, that's my yeah. shutters right yeah. there. Yeah. You know, you want to you want to have that. So it's, uh, well, it's hopefully one of those never have. Hopefully you'll never have to use that. That's them, right? my whole premise there is I hope I never have to see how long it takes because, you know, I mean, you know, I'd have to, I'd have to go out and I have to set up the ladder and then, and then Sharon's going to have to climb up that ladder and I'm going to have to <laughs> ha- hand this thing up to her. And all. I mean, it's just, it's a lot of pressure on me. I it just, is, it yeah. is. I don't want to, Having your wife climb up and down yeah, ladders all day. That's right. she can and you're saying, hurry her. up. The clouds are coming. It. Yeah, I know it. Exactly. So, okay, let's go to some emails here. We'd love to get an email from you. Today's homeowner.com slash ask. Ed from Maryland wrote in, said, would you please advise me on how to repair or fix my bathtub that was reglazed? And after a few months, it began to peel. It was reglazed because there was a crack in the floor that is still visible. Joe, looking at this picture, oh I, I mean, this, yeah. this is, this is cultured marble, I believe, because you see how smooth the perimeter is and how, right. yeah. I, I don't know, maybe, maybe that's a lipped tub that is sitting in, in this thing. But either way, first of all, if it is a lipped tub, if it's a tub that, that sits into a cultured marble cradle, replace this tub, you know, the, the don't spend any more money on this tub because yep. Uh, that failure in the bottom of this tub is is serious. Going to have some leaks. It looks bad. I would say it's time to replace that. And I and I'll tell you what, 
I have replaced way more large tubs than I've ever installed because uh, people are starting to realize I'm not going to take a tub bath, uh, put right. me a shower in there, and more yeah. often than not, a you know a walk-in type shower with very little curb, if any, is what most people want. You're looking at a tub here that's probably six foot wide, so you can have one heck of a walk-in shower, but they may already have a shower, but a lot of different ways to go, but I guess the bottom line, unless you um, disagree with me, I think this thing needs to be replaced. Yeah. Well, first of all, he said it was cracked. The floor of the tub was cracked, so they reglazed it. Well, reglazing doesn't solve the problem. It, regla it gives you a new surface, perhaps. And even that was done poorly, because we can see from a photograph that the new glazing peeled off. But if it's cracked, you have to replace it. I mean, I don't know how else you'd repair it and have it not leak. So yeah, th th I, I would just, I think that you're right. I think at this point, rather than trying to fix this again, as I would just replace it because you know, I think you'd be better off in the long run and and trying to reglaze a tub that's already been glazed once is not smart, especially one with a crack in the floor. Here's another email that came in from Michigan. Lily asked, Hi, Danny. I have a couple problems I hope you can help me with. First, the metal drain pipes under my kitchen sink were replaced with plastic pipes. There wasn't any putty or anything else used to stick these pieces together, and now they're leaking. Is there a product I can use to stop the leaks? Well, you know, um, dissimilar materials like that can be joined together successfully, but you have to do it right. Obviously, this wasn't. So I would just uh, really closely look at wherever the whole system hopefully has not failed, and it could be just one isolated a joint that was not done properly, and I would isolate exactly where the leak is and see if you can attack that one or two areas and then maybe leave a little Tupperware pan under it until you check it and use it a lot to make sure that it's not leaking. That would be um, the first thing I would do. Also, here's another question for you, Joe. Okay. My metal entry door has a few small rust spots near the bottom. Can I sand them with sandpaper and then spray on some type of paint? What grit sandpaper should I use? I like that question because there's another example of pre preventative measures that might end up saving you hundreds and hundreds of dollars. What do you think on this one for Lily? Yeah, she could absolutely do that. In fact, you have to do that. I don't care what paint you buy that says you can spray right over rust and it's going to seal it in or something. Always remove the rust. So, yeah, I guess I would use probably 120 grit sandpaper. You don't anything too aggressive, but enough that it's going to remove the rust. And try to get right down to bare metal, nice, clean, bare metal. If um, it goes right through and there's a hole, then you can plug it with some um, Bondo or something like that, auto body filler, and then you can prime it and paint it. But yeah, she, she could certainly do that. In fact, I would recommend it. If it's a larger area, I guess you can use a power sander, otherwise just hand sanding. And Danny, if I could back up one bit talk regarding uh, Lily's earlier question about the plastic, meaning PVC pipes that are leaking. I've often found that those joints, they're very, they're very coarse uh, threads, which makes it easy. You can just tighten them up almost by hand. In fact, I usually tighten it by hand first. And if I have to, I'll put a wrench on it, but usually tighten it by hand. But they're, you can cross those threads pretty easily because they're so coarse. And if someone does put a wrench on them and crank it a little too much, they can, conf they can deform it so that it then will leak. So I think I would dis disassemble the entire plastic piping system, assuming everything's not, nothing's cracked and everything looks normal, then put it back together really carefully. And what I usually do is snug up all of them just by hand a little bit to get everything aligned, and then tighten them all at once. Because if you tighten one, then you try to tighten another one, it doesn't quite line up and you force it, you could be creating some leaks. But there ordinarily is no putty or 
Teflon tape or anything used because you don't usually need it. It's a compression fitting. As long as you line it up correctly and tighten it correctly, it should not leak. There you go. Just kind of reassemble everything and be real careful. Have a good light that you can see exactly what's going on, and you might be able to fix it without any extra materials or any trip to the store whatsoever. Hey, coming up, we're going to be talking to a homeowner about a deck project they have. You're listening to today's Homeowner Radio. Welcome back to today's Homeowner Radio. Here are Danny and Joe. Always so glad to be with you. And, you know, the show's going really well this week. A lot of information, a lot of callers, a lot of people looking ahead to some warmer weather. And uh, that always really motivates a lot of people to roll up their sleeves and get ready to do things. And we want to help you with any project. If you're planning on a project and you're getting a little confused on something, well, we're your resource to help you get started in the right direction and we want you to reach out to us. You can send us an email, todayshomeowner.com slash ask, or you can pick up the phone and call us on the hotline anytime, 800-946-4420. Let's go right to the hotline right now for a call from Ann in Idaho. We use James Hardy Plank as our siding, and the fascia right under the roof, the paint is literally peeling in many, many places. I mean, it's literally taking off not just the paint, but the top layer of the James Hardy. Have any suggestions? We really got to get a handle on it. I mean, did, did our roof get put on wrong? Do we not have a far enough reach over the edge? Sure appreciate your help. Oh, boy. I, this That's one we haven't heard very much because no. that's one of the advantages of using she, she's referencing is James Hardy. It could be James Hardy. It could be yeah, uh, that's a lot right. of people are using that generically to denote a fiber cement type siding. And, you know, one of the uh, big advantages of that, I, I put fiber cement on my home because, boy, if you paint that right, it will be on there for a long, long time. And to tell you the truth, I'm not sure I've ever seen it actually peel. It will, you know, might have a slight expansion crack from time to time where it starts fading a little bit because of the elements. I wonder if what she's speaking of here, the trigger that I heard there is if the roof was put on properly because, you know, a lot of times we've seen those situations where the water comes off the roof and it really should be projected about an inch or an inch and a quarter to where for the most part in a traditional rain, it should never even get the fascia board wet because it should be extended over it enough. If that's not the case, then that water is going to pour down potentially between the actual structure of the uh, fascia board and the the paint, and in this case, maybe even the um, outside coating of the James Hardy board. You think maybe that's the the source of the problem here, since she mentioned the fascia or fascia, as some people call it, as the main um, problem. Well, it certainly sounds like a moisture problem, and this water is getting on that. When you have a peeling paint and actually starting to delaminate, for lack of a better word, then that can only be moisture. So, okay, so how's all that water soaking onto there? You'd have to, unfortunately, Ann did not submit a photograph, so I can't quite tell what she's talking about here, but it certainly sounds like moisture. And if it's dripping, as you thought, Danny, dripping off the roof and hitting the fascia and then the siding and not draining into the gutter, or if she has no gutters, it's not draining off the roof, then that she has to rectify. And um, I would get up there and inspect the edge of the roof, see if there's a drip cap edging. If it is, if there is one there, 
and it's the water's coming off that edge and not quite clearing the fascia, she's either have to replace that with a longer one, you could probably just put it right over it, or kick out the bottom of that by slipping some pressure-treated wood strips underneath it so it kicks out that bottom drip edge so that it is extending past the fascia and hopefully into a gutter or something. I can't imagine in Idaho, they don't have gutters up in their houses. Maybe they have so much snow that they don't. I'm not sure. Again, without a photograph, it's hard to tell. But this is definitely a moisture problem. There'd be no other reason for the paint to be peeling all over the area, all over the house, and then also you know, getting into the siding or the fascia board itself. Okay, let's uh, try an email here. You can send us one. Today's homeowner.com slash ask. Philip asks, I'm building a deck using five-quarter pressure-treated lumber. Should I leave a gap between the deck boards? We get a lot of rain here, and I know that the boards might shrink, but the boards on my old deck didn't shrink, and water would puddle up and not drain through. What do you think I should do? Well, Philip, that's a great question, and it does depend on the moisture content of the pressure-treated wood you're using, which the vast majority of the time does have a fair amount of moisture in that, which means when it dries out, you will have a crack and it could be a significant crack. Now, there, if previously on the deck was a wood that was really dry or kill dried, then you're not going to have that shrinkage, but the vast majority of the time you do. Um, general rule of thumb uh, for most framing carpenters, they just use a 12-penny nail. And that's the gap that you as do a spacer, right. as a spacer. So I would say that's probably maybe an eighth of an inch, maybe a little bit more than that. In some cases, I have butted those things up as tight as possible, knowing that they're going to separate a little bit. But I suspect a safe thing to tell someone is to put a small nail. I mean, it could be a finished nail. It could be anything so that you do have a uniform gap between all pieces of wood. That way, if you have a little bit of shrinkage, it won't create such a large hole that could actually be you know, dangerous to someone, um, you know, gap between the boards. But um, that's one of the things that uh, is hard to know on that moisture content, That's right. how much shrinkage you'll have, but I would say 95% of the time you're going to have some shrinkage. Yeah. I mean, the, what you don't want to do is what apparently happened on his older deck is that they didn't leave enough space or any space. And of course the boards didn't shrink and now you got a solid wood deck, which is going to get moldy and stay wet all the time. So yeah, I think we, we often say, how do, you know, a good way of knowing if the wood is dry is first you can feel it. If it's really heavy, then it's wet. It shouldn't be that heavy. Or you can sprinkle a little, spray a little water on it. If the water soaks right in, then the wood is dry. If the water beads up, then the wood is still wet. And, you know, depending on the size of deck, you might get some boards that are dry and some boards that are wet. And, you know, so that complicates it. But on the safe side, I agree with Danny. I think it should leave a space. I've never seen a deck that has shrunk so much that suddenly there's like a three-quarter inch space between the boards. You know, I mean, anything over three-eighths of an inch might be an issue, but I've never seen one even that much. So, um, yeah, I'd say leave a space and, um, you know, a quarter inch or a little less and then if it swells, you'll still have some space between the boards. Mm-hmm. And when we're talking about decks, you know, and particularly this time of the year, you know, what are you going to do with that deck out back? You know, you can 
uh, pressure wash it, get it nice and clean, and then we yeah. would suggest putting some type of transparent sealer on it, semi-transparent stain or a clear sealer that'll soak into it to, to really um, make it work well. And leave the nails in the shop. Use only coated deck screws. Even if you are having to repair a deck board here and there, it's okay to use a coated deck screw, and you can kind of recess it in just a tad. If you do it right and get the hang of it, you can almost make those screws disappear and uh, it's just going to stay in shape and in place a lot better by doing that so um, I think that would be something to think about if you're getting that deck in order and you can always go to todayshomeowner.com and put in um, our search engine there deck repairs and there's a lot of suggestions and videos that'll help guide you through it hey when we come back we're going to tackle some more emails right here on today's homeowner radio Welcome back to today's Homeowner Radio. Here are Danny and Joe. Well, Joe, looks like we have some news to report here. We oh, have yeah? an invasion what? in California denoted by this email that just came okay. in. So Karen says, I have a Santa Fe style tile roof. The house was built in 1997 and we're surrounded by squirrels. <laughs> Uh, what? <laughs> yes, the squirrels have ganged up on okay. Karen in California. I make Surra- sure that the, the branches squirrels, yeah. are cut back to ensure they are not hitting the house, but some of these pesky squirrels keep finding their way onto my roof where they start scratching. Is there any way to keep the squirrels, <laughs> pigeons, and doves off my roof? Now, wow, she's Ka- got a lot going on Karen's there. Karen's getting a little a aggravated of a at uh, yeah. Mother Nature out there, so, um, you know, Squirrels can jump, um, um, you know, a pretty pretty good distance right. there. Yep. I'm not sure what they're finding on that roof that's so desirable and everything, other than you know aggravating Karen, which may give them a you know a little bit of pleasure doing that. <laughs> but but um but but I, I I don't know what to say here other than uh you know it is important to keep those limbs trimmed back a good bit because just yep. make it harder on them. Uh, you know, if you're talking about pigeons and doves, well. I'm not really sure there uh, unless you get some of the, you know, the spikes that you see on a lot of commercial buildings. To yeah, but those are just good for like ledges. I mean, right. on the roof yeah, itself. Wherever they might, yeah. you know, roost. And then, of course, you know, we've heard the uh, about the old um, scarecrow water sensor that yeah, is a yeah. motion-activated water sprinkler system that's yeah. not made to uh, irrigate anything. It's made to scare off deer or anything else squirrels and you can mount that on your roof might not be the most attractive thing and then anytime it picks up motion it's doing that but uh what what would you tell um karen in this situation yeah well water is a disappearing commodity in california so i'm not sure if using yeah uh, you're right water she has a lot of squirrels i would be spraying a lot of water and you're turning it into like a spa the squirrels will turn up just to get a nice shower mm-hmm. i mean you can't keep the pigeons and doves doves off your roof i don't think and i'm not even sure why the squirrels i mean a tile roof is impervious to like they can't gnaw on it or anything so i'm not sure what to tell her about it except remember danny i think it was last year two years ago we started hearing about people building picnic tables for squirrels 
Yeah, yeah. So maybe if she built a few of those and just attract them to another area. That's perhaps. right. Yeah. So maybe and they invite, all go on the roof. And, and invite the pigeons over for a little, little <laughs> the pigeons. Yeah. <laughs> charcuterie platter. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, <laughs> put out seeds and nuts and see what happens. Yeah. Sorry, Karen. I'm not. We're Sorry, not sure Karen. exactly what Joe to tell just you. Joe just made a mockery yeah. of this whole yeah. dilemma. <laughs> yeah. How silly of us. Um, but yeah, I think I would try just attracting them to another area. Um, and like Danny said, if you can cut back the branches even more so they can't leap onto your roof, I'm assuming they're not climbing up the side of the house, which I've heard happens in some cases. And again, I'm not really sure why squirrels would be so attracted to Karen in her home, but, uh, mm-hmm. uh, I wonder if this is a problem in the whole neighborhood. If it's just her house, then yeah, she should call an exterminator and have him take a look around and see why that exactly is right, an issue. Right, right. And that might be an option there with so many of the people that specialize, you know, the critter, gr- getter kind of yeah, um, yeah. companies and so forth might be able to provide you because that, that way they can put their eyes on it and just see what's really attracting them. Let's get another email in real quick. This is another one from California. Ruth, Ruth asks, how do you know when a crack that's over an eighth of an inch wide in a concrete slab is serious? It's probably caused by a nearby tree um, tree root that's now been removed. But there are many smaller cracks inside the room and the floor slopes slightly. Can the crack just be filled in? If so, with what? We did not detect any water or moisture. At what point should we call in a home inspector or structural engineer? We're planning to install engineered wood flooring. Well, for a peace of mind, I would certainly certainly recommend calling in a engineer that is uh, comfortable and routinely does things on residential. They can uh, pull a few strings, maybe shoot a few grades and try to determine if it's an ongoing problem or an original defect. And I would certainly do that just for the peace of mind and to make sure that there's nothing that you need to do to prevent it from getting any worse. Because it's if it's an ongoing settling problem, you certainly don't want to invest any money at all in uh, the flooring. Now, if it is a stable floor and it's just an expansion and contraction that's calling, causing this crack, yes, you can fill it in with a floor patch compound that works very, very well. Um, and our friends at Custom Building Products um, make the very best floor leveler and floor compounds. You can go online at custombuildingproducts.com and read about several different types that are available at Home Depot that you can just fill in, much like you would a crack on a wall, and just fill it in and feather it all out, allow it to dry before you start putting in your engineered wood. But uh, it's always a, a little unsettling like that. But Joe, for the most part, the good news is for the most part, cracks and concrete slabs are not serious, nor are they settling issues. Right. And the really good news for Ruth is she doesn't have water coming up through these cracks, which is yeah, often exactly. the case. Uh-huh. And then if you put down a new floor, especially a wood floor over it, you really run into some problems. All right. Hey, coming up, it's Simple Solution Time. Joe, give us a quick little tease on what we might expect in a few minutes. How and why you need to wash your washing machine occasionally. You're listening to today's Homeowner Radio. We'll be right back. Welcome back to today's Homeowner Radio. Here are Danny and Joe. And it's Simple Solution Time, that time of the show where Joe shares with us that little nugget of information that always seems to make sense. So, Joe, 
Don't let us down. Okay, I'll try not to. Danny, you may be wondering, why in the world would you ever need to wash your washing machine? Wash your washing machine. Wash your washing machine. Here's why. You should clean your washing machine occasionally to prevent the buildup of mold, mildew, soap deposits, and odors. We often hear from people, especially if you have a front-loading machine, that you know they 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 get an odor or, or moldy buildup inside, especially on the door. Um, on front-loading machines, if you have a front-loading machine, after each load of laundry, and I know this is a pain in the neck, but after each load of laundry, you should have a dry cotton cloth and wipe dry the inside of the door, and especially the rubber gasket around the door. And also, you might want to keep the door open after doing a load of laundry, just allow or air to circulate so it dries out that area. And some front loaders, in fact, because of this problem, some front loaders have a latch, which has a very unusual name. I think they call it a magnetic door plunge for whatever reason. I'm not sure, but it's a latch that holds the door open an inch or two specifically to help alleviate this problem by letting air uh, dry out the door and the gasket and the inside of the tub. And the reason it has that latch is if, if you just left it open, they're afraid kids or a, or a pet or something will crawl in there. So be careful of that. But regardless of, regardless of what kind of washing machine you should have, you should also do this. Once every, whatever, three or four months, five months, whatever, run it empty. No clothes, no nothing. Just run a load, hot water, one cup of bleach, run it through the whole cycle, and that will sanitize and refresh in the inside of the machine and cut down on all those odors. Well, it's amazing how many complaints we've heard about those front loaders, you know, that they, they and just, it started almost immediately as soon as they started selling them. Yeah. So they've tried a lot of different ways of remedying that. And most people do just leave it cracked like that. So there you go. Wash your washing machine. And, but Joe, when you're, it, when someone's washing the washing machine and right. cleaning the inside of it, right? what about the spare change? I mean, if you got spare <laughs> change there, are you able to, should ethically, should you keep that spare change or should you give it back to your husband? What, what, what should you do? Well, well, I, I'm guessing from your question that, that your wife Sharon is not giving it back to her husband. No, I haven't. I haven't gotten any back. It's not. It's a. It's a terrible ROI that I'm getting out of that change. <laughs> yeah. Well, remember when we were bachelors, we used to put quarters into a machine to do laundry. Well, just yeah. think of it. Just think of it as that. <laughs> yeah, that's that, that's a boy. I hadn't been to a laundromat like that. Yeah, I bet they don't time. take quarters anymore. No, I bet they probably, probably take, take debit scan, cards scan and your yeah. credit card. Yeah. Exactly. Hey, I want to remind you what you can see on the Today's Homeowner television show this weekend. It's a show we're calling Guest Room Update. A lot of us have guest rooms, and a lot of times it just becomes a dumping ground for stuff you don't want anybody else to see. Well, when your guests come over, that doesn't make it very welcoming. So what we did on this very modest renovation is to install an accent wall on the wall where the bed fits, and it's actually board and batten. It's a kind of a cool look. Looks good outside, looks even better inside, and then painted it a nice bold color that really um, had a good look to it. Floating shelves, that's something you can use almost anywhere we show you a very easy way that you can create floating shelves wall sconces that operate off of batteries game changer you're able to install those sconces anywhere without having to worry about any electrical connection at all also you may have what we call drywall returned windows where you only have wood just on the stool and apron on the lower part of the window. But what if you could install wood all the way around that, real simple, less than $15, and dramatically change the look of that 
a particular window, you need to check it out on this episode on exactly how we did it. It turned out looking just great. Great before and after pictures. So go to todayshomeowner.com, find out where you can see the Today's Homeowner television show. We certainly appreciate you spending some time with us each and every week here on Today's Homeowner Radio. I'm Danny Lifford, along with my co-host Joe Truini, our engineer Corey Wilson, and producer Jacob Scarborough, and the whole Today's Homeowner family. Hoping you have a fantastic week, and hope you'll join us again next week for Today's Homeowner Radio.